Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We are going to be uh, looking at 1 Timothy 3 this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at the church is God's house. Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul, an older pastor, writing to Timothy, a younger pastor, about the church that Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus. Um, They have a little bit of some behavior problems in the church. And Paul is writing to Timothy to help him figure out how God wants him to organize the church in Ephesus. 1 Timothy 3, verse 14 through 16. Let me read this now. I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God the pillar and foundation of the truth. And most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. The word of God. God be with the preaching of your word. I must have been in uh, fourth grade It was after school, and I was with my three friends who were brothers, Frankie, Anthony, and Joey Caparelli. And if it sounds like they should have been dressed in tracksuits with baseball bats, um, they were Italians from New York, and their family loved being Italian. Uh, Frankie, Anthony, and Joey, three brothers, and I didn't have a brother, so I loved hanging out with them because we would getting fights with each other. We'd play video games all night. And on this particular day, we, it was after school, and uh, our school had a church that was connected to it. And we went over to the church because we were looking for the boy's mother. She was in a meeting in the sanctuary, so we wandered into the foyer to wait for her. And the foyer of this church was as wide as this room is long, if not bigger. And it didn't have carpet. It didn't have tile with bumps. It had that terrazzo flooring. So it was nice and smooth and even. And it had just been waxed. And so Frankie, Anthony, and Joey and I started to run and slide, taking our shoes off across the terrazzo floor. And once we realized that we could run and slide, and it was a lot of fun, that started changing into baseball dives across the terrazzo floor in this church, and one after another, we would run and leap, you know, and just kind of feet out, sliding as far as we could, and we were having a blast. I'm sure that we were making a lot of noise. And and then Anthony went sliding, and as he slid out of nowhere, he looked up, and there was Donna Caparelli standing, look at Anthony, slide right by with her arms crossed, you could read the disappointment on her face that her three sons and me, her son's friend, were acting up in the foyer of that church. And she lit into us. (laughs) Boys, how dare you act this way? How can you behave this way in God's house? Now, now, the thing about Donna Caparelli is like she was one of the favorite teachers at that school. She was a teacher. She was beloved. 
And so when she lit into you, it was that much worse because you had disappointed her. But the great thing about Mrs. Caparelli is she wasn't a snitch. So she would deal with you, but she would not tell your parents. So I did not get in trouble that way for my misbehavior in God's house. Uh, but I did get in trouble with Miss Caparelli. Boys, behave yourself in God's house. You know, as we talk about being the church, um, and as we talk about what Paul's writing today, he says something that, that sounds a little bit like that. Like, don't act up in God's house. Quit misbehaving in God's house. But really, uh, there's more to it than that. Many of us might have grown up hearing that message. Like maybe as we grew up in church, we thought that we were supposed to behave in church. Like in the hour and a half that we spent on Sunday, your parents or your mom said to you, you better not misbehave. But really Paul's saying something much broader than that. He's not just writing about uh, how people are behaving in a building. Rather, he's talking about the behavior that the church is called to as God's house. Not being in the building, but being the very temple of God that God lives in. It's not about acting right when you're in a certain building, but rather a way of living as God lives in us together. In verse 15, Paul says to Timothy that he's writing so that people ought to know how to conduct themselves in God's household. Not in a building, but within the family of God. Not just not acting up, but what is the way of life that we've been called to as Christians? We are called to a certain way of living as God's house. And we're going to look at that this morning, briefly, how we're called to a way of living as God's family, how we're called to a way of living with the living God, and how we're called to a way of living that promotes God's gospel. So first of all, we talk about being called to a certain way of living in God's family. That's really what that word household means. In, in those days, there was, households were much bigger than we think about. Uh, there was grandparents and parents. There was kids and servants and business people, and they all sort of were part of the household. And what was very familiar in the minds of the people who would be reading this letter was that there was household codes. There was an agreed-upon set of behavior and a way of living that everyone in the household agreed to. There was an ethic, you know, there was an ethic that people bought into and said, this is how we live together. Maybe your mom said, I don't care how people outside my home live, but in this home, you will live a certain way. That's what Paul's getting at here, the Greco-Roman household. And as members of the household of God, we were saved from a former way of living in order to have a new way of living within God's family. In this particular letter, Paul has already talked about that way being a life of prayer, a life of worship, a life where leaders have integrity and accountability. And I know even as we say that, though, some of you are getting that trigger button push where you hear, behave in God's house. Um, and you sort of feel like any call to a code of conduct any call to a way of living feels like legalism or religion, but let me tell you it's not. Paul is telling Timothy, call people back to what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus' teaching is not 
easy to follow. It's difficult to follow. And yet at the same time, he promises he will be with us as we follow his way of living. As we follow his way of living. A a call to a way of living isn't necessarily religious. I mean, every organization in the world has a code of conduct. Whether you go to a protest in the street, there's a code of conduct that they follow, or whether you're a pirate. You you ever watch, uh, what's the, the movie Pirates of the Caribbean? You ever watch that? Like, there's the pirate code. Like, there's a way that they do things. And that's from the movie, but that was actually in real life. Like, real pirates had a code of conduct. You can look it up. I I found one funny rule that says, for pirates, every man shall keep his watch night and day. But at the hour of eight in the evening, everyone shall retire from gaming and drinking in order to attend his respective station. In other words, like, even pirates had rules. You can drink And you can play cards all day until 8 p.m. Then you got to put the rum down and you got to man your post. If pirates have a code of conduct, why would we doubt that Christians should have a, a code of conduct? A way of living in God's family together. I, I think what the challenge is for us is we're so individualistic in our society. We're so used to like picking the apps that we want our, on our phone and deleting the ones that we don't want or going to the store and having so many options to buy for just like a toothbrush, right? So then when we look at at God's code of conduct in his family, we go, well, I'll choose this, but not this. I'll download this into my life. I'll apply this, but this seems too hard or it doesn't really fit who I am. So I'm not going to apply that. And a lot of times we've seen other Christians who are hypocritical and they pretend to be better than they really are. And so Somewhere in there in the individualism and the hypocrisy of others, we can get off track and start to say, these are the things I want to follow, but these are the things I don't want to follow as part of God's family. But, But our reference point shouldn't be what we want. Our reference point shouldn't be the hypocrisy of others. Our reference point is always our Father and His perfect character and who He is and what He calls us to be. And even when we fall short, and we will every day, That doesn't mean we delete those parts of God's commands for us. Rather, it means we ask for his help more and more that we could follow that way of living as part of his family. We are called to behavior together. We're called to a way of living as God's family. But we're also called to a way of living with the living God. That's what he says next. In God's household, which is the church of the living God. Now, the imagery that's really coming up there that Paul's trying to get Timothy to see is is that God is alive and the idols of other religions aren't alive at all. Rather, they're stone or they're wood. They're dead. But our God is alive and we are the assembly. We are the gathering. We are the people who the living God dwells in. And as a people, we are called to live a certain way with the living God inside of us. When Paul went to Ephesus to start the church, the place where Timothy's pastoring now, uh, the way that that church was started was that Paul and others did miracles. They showed the living God's power. And people started to convert. People started leaving their religions and they saw the power of the living God And and, and in fact, there was a bunch of people who practiced magic arts, like black magic. And they converted 
to Christianity. They started following Jesus. And as they did that, they realized that their spiritual practices, their dark magic practices, were an offense to the living God. And what they did is they brought all their books that had all their spells and incantations, and they threw them in a pile, and they burned them. And in today's economy, the value of those books that it says in Acts 19 were burned would be like $6 million. That's crazy. This was a big pile of books that people burned as they followed Jesus. In that town, it wasn't just that there was black magic. There was, there was also the, the god of that town was known as Artemis. For the Greeks, they called the god, goddess Artemis. The Romans called her Diana. And that picture of Artemis and Diana was on coins. It was on statues. And when people begin to convert from following Artemis and Diana, and they began to convert to the living God, to following Jesus, the people who made the idols for Artemis and Diana began to get upset. Because as people converted to Jesus, it was actually doing something to their economy. Because in that town, they were worshiping dead idols. And, and the union of people the union of people who created those idols of Diana and Artemis, they got together and they were upset at Paul because as people are converting, they're throwing away their idols and they don't want to follow these dead idols. They want to follow the living God. And this guy named Demetrius, who's part of the union, says, listen, this guy Paul says that gods made with hands aren't gods at all. Now, he didn't believe it, but that's what, he got it in a sense. So that's the difference for us as Christians. We're called to a way of living with the living God living in us. We're not called to follow and worship something that's dead, that's made with human hands. What kind of God is something that you can make with your hands? We are the church of the living God. That word church doesn't mean the building. It means the ones who have gathered in the name of Jesus. It's the assembly, it's the temple, it's us. Not the building, but the people who God indwells as the living God. God is no longer worshiped in a specific location, but rather he lives in the people who worship him. God is not a God made with hands, rather he made the world with his hands. He's not made of lifeless stone, he's the one who defeated death. We live the way we do because the living God lives in us. That was the challenge that Paul was giving to Timothy, who was pastoring in a city full of idols and black magic. These are dead ways. These are dead gods. But the living God dwells in his people. And that is why we live for him. You know, it makes me wonder, even if you think of yourself as a, as a temple, we're, we're temples, we're a temple together but you yourself are a temple. God lives in you if you know Jesus Christ. But is he the center of, that, of your heart? Or is there something else that your life is centered around? Is there something else that has your attention or your affections? Uh, God wants to be the center of your life. That's why he dwells in you as a temple. Oftentimes when we have hangups about following God or obeying God or living by God's code or living uh, by the ethic that God calls us to, it's because we've actually replaced him 
in our hearts with something else. We've put our job or we've put a relationship or we've put finances or fame or something like that at the middle of our heart and our deepest affections are for those things rather than for God. But we are called to live a certain way because the living God lives in us. The living God lives in us. And the reason that he lives in us is to empower us to promote the good news. The last point is that we live the way we do to promote God's good news. In verse 15, Paul continues on and he says that the church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, some of you might bristle if you've had a bad church experience, for sure, because you say, truth and the church? No, no, no. I know churches that served lies. I know church people that have been hypocrites, but to call the church the pillar and foundation of the truth, wow, that's a stretch. And I can understand that from your experience. But understand this, that's the very reason why Paul's writing what he is. Like he's calling out the church in Ephesus for the ways that they're not being the pillar and foundation of the truth. He's calling them to something more. He's calling them to live their lives in a way that promotes God's good news. And when Timothy would have read those words, pillar and foundation, he would have immediately thought of the temple in Ephesus. See, Artemis just wasn't on coins or there weren't just idols made of this goddess. Rather, the city was known for the temple of Artemis. And you can see from the picture, this is no small building. It was actually bigger than a football field. At the time, it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It, it took 120 years to construct. And it had 100 columns, each 60 feet high, that held that marble roof up high for all to see. And so when Paul uses the word foundation, Timothy might think of this temple and think of how that rock-solid foundation held steady the entire complex. And when Paul uses the word pillar, Timothy might have thought of those columns that thrust the roof of the temple of Artemis up in the air for all to see. And so when Paul says that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth, he's talking about something specific. Our moms always told us to tell the truth, and that was good, but Paul means here the truth of the gospel. The church is the foundation and pillar of the truth of the gospel. In other words, we as the body of believers, one of our jobs is to stabilize the gospel by pointing out falsehood and unbelief. But not only that, just as those pillars thrust the roof, that marble roof up in the air for all to see. Our job as the church is to push out the gospel and promote it and live in a way that draws attention to the good news of Jesus. We are the foundation and pillars of the gospel. Now, it's actually helpful here to think about what's happening in our culture relating to the church getting called out and what Paul is doing with Timothy right here, because Paul is calling out the church in Ephesus. He's saying some of the leaders don't live in line with how they're supposed to live in God's family. And a lot of the people in the church in Ephesus are not living in line with how people in the church are supposed to live. 
And the same thing is being said in our culture right now. Uh, the church is corrupt. People are hypocritical. Abuses of power are being hidden. Let's reveal the real. At, at the same time, look what Paul's doing. He's not doing it to dismantle the church or the gospel. He's calling out the things that are impure, the things that are, in sinful, that are sinful, the things that don't line up with promoting the gospel in order that the church would be a better witness for the gospel. His point is that the church would reform and refine itself so that it would be a better testimony. It would be a better witness to what Jesus has done for sinners like you and me that the corruption and the hypocrisy would not get in the way of people following and believing in what Jesus has done for them. See, Paul doesn't just throw away the gospel because the church is messing up. You know, you could think about a class five hurricane coming towards South Florida, and you can think about the weatherman telling you that it's coming. And him being an awful person. You could think about him being the worst person in the, in the world. Now, people aren't going to want to listen to him because he's so bad, but the truth of what he's pointing to is still there. That hurricane is still coming. Now, listen, with the church, we have fallen desperately short of promoting the gospel in a way that makes it attractive to people. And there, we need to repent, and we need to reform, and we need to be called to the way of living that God calls us. But the news is still there. And it's not bad news. It's good news. The fact that Jesus has defeated death and, and risen from the dead and ascended to the throne of God, and one day he will return to make all things new. Friends, maybe we have fallen short, but that doesn't mean that we abandon the church. That doesn't mean that we abandon the good news. Rather, we do exactly what Paul is telling Timothy to do. Let's reform the church. Let's call people back to this way of living as part of God's family as people living with the living God inside them, as people who are trying to promote God's good news. And just to make sure that Timothy gets it, that's where he ends this passage. He says, the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. And most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. Now, when that word mystery is used, we tend to think of like a crime scene, like who done it, right? We tend to think of a mystery of like something that no one knows and no one can explain. But when the ancient world used mystery, it was a secret that was revealed. And so oftentimes in religious communities, the mystery was held by those who had climbed the ladder of the religious community. You can think of some religions that are like that, where only the inner circle knows the secrets. But Christianity is not that way. The mystery of Jesus has been revealed to all. Jesus was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. We live the way we do because we want the world to know this message, that Jesus became God became man in him, that in the resurrection, Jesus was proven right, that he was who he said he was, that he ascended into heaven, and God gave him all authority over all things, that Jesus, the message of Jesus was preached to the nations, and people began to believe, and one day, Christ will return 
and publicly he will be worshipped as king before all people. We, by the way we live, do not want to get in the way of that message. We want to live in a way that points people to who Jesus is and what he's done. Because the truth of Jesus still stands. Friends, even if this building were to crumble, uh, even if we find more scandals in the church across the country and the world, the truth of Jesus still stands. Here's a picture of the Temple of Artemis today. It's not that building in the back, it's those two pillars. Uh, Several hundred years later, I believe it was burned by someone who invaded, and, and there it is maybe like a pillar and a quarter of a pillar, um, destroyed, crumbled, the temple in shambles. And, and honestly, so also will every idol, every false god, every other way of living will crumble when Christ returns. But the truth of Jesus remains. And so we call the church back to following Jesus, back to living as God's blended family, back to living with the living God inside of us, back to living in a way that points people to Jesus who doesn't change and will never change. Let's live as the members of God. Let's live as a family together. Let's live with God in us. Let's live with a way that doesn't get in the way of who Jesus is. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.